You're listening to the Arctic Circle podcast. In this episode, we listen to four experts discuss the volcanic eruption of Fagradalsfjall and how research on seismic activity connected the Arctic and space. First is a keynote from Shay Strong, Vice President of Analytics at ISAI. Then speeches from Freistet Simonsson, Head at the Faculty of Earth Sciences, Nordic Volcanological Center at the University of Iceland. Vincent Drurin, geophysicist at the Icelandic Met Office. And Daniel Lab, founding partner and executive mission director at Iceland Space Agency. The speeches are followed by Q&A from the audience. The dialogue was moderated by Tero Vaureste, Senior Advisor and Regional Director of ISAI and Global Fellow at the Woodrow Wilson Center. This event originally took place at the 2021 Arctic Circle Assembly in Reykjavik, Iceland and was organized in collaboration with ISAI. Good afternoon, dear colleagues. It's a great pleasure meeting you here in Iceland again, finally, physically. Today uh, we are going to discuss a very interesting topic uh, which uh, connects the Arctic and space, a topic which has not been that thoroughly discussed. We are discussing about the volcano eruption which took place uh, a couple of months ago. And that was on the March 19th, March 19th uh, in the Geldingadal Valley, where the Fagradalsfjell in Iceland on the Reykjanes Peninsula. And during the four weeks, Prior to this event, there had been intense seismic activity, tens of thousands of earthquakes, and substantial ground deformation, leading monitoring scientists to expect that an eruption would be imminent. Although ground deformation observations from interferometric synthetic aperture radar analysis pointed to a magmatic intrusion, it remained unclear where and when exactly an eruption would take place, how much lava would be extruded, and in what direction it would flow. As with all natural disasters, making scientifically sound predictions for risk mitigation is as critically important as it's challenging. ISI, University of Iceland and Icelandic Meteorological Office and Iceland Space Agency joined forces to respond and have put together a study on the aftermath of the event. Today we have a great panel discussing this execution which we have take, which has taken place within the past couple of months. Keynote will be given by Shay Strong, who is the VP of Analytics with ISI. He's, she's a PhD in astronomy from uh, the University of Austin, a specialist in remote sensing and imagery and satellite and aerial expert. Freistin Sigmundsson, uh, he's from uh, um, the Nordic Volcanological Center from the University of Iceland, a research professor in Institute of Earth and Sciences and Head of Faculty of the Earth Sciences. We have Dr. Vincent Druin. He is a geophysicist in the Icelandic Meteorological Office. And Mr. Daniel Leib, who is the founding partner and executive mission director from Iceland Space Agency. With that, uh, I'll leave the floor to Shay to give our keynote. Please, Shay, welcome. Hello and thank you. It's lovely to see all of you here today. Um, I wanted to just dive right in at the risk of being a little redundant with the title again. The volcano is definitely erupting or was erupting in the case of Fagradasviat. So 
Where I wanted to start is just fundamentally we've been able to create this incredible collaboration across these different organizations um, that through the, the collaboration itself we were able to evaluate not only just the extent of this particular event um, but also the magnitude from space and then fuse it with in situ ground measurements obtained here in Iceland. And perhaps very unique because of this fusion, we were able to, for perhaps the first time, get a fundamentally clear understanding of what the dynamics of this geophysical event implied, as well as what was happening in kind of the subterranean plumbing of, of this volcano. And unique, of course, to that is not alone just the scientific implications of, of being able to have high-frequency, high-revisit content, um, but also the implications that it has on human risk and the, the people that are potentially impacted by these kinds of events. So all in all, over the 26 days of this particular eruption, uh, seven new eruptive fissures were identified. Um, and from a space-based perspective, the, the, the platform that was used is ISIS SAR satellites. This is a synthetic aperture radar, active sensing uh, sensor, um, which enables us to probe precise uh, estimates of the depths um, of the, the, the um, sorry, the deformation of the ground itself. And so kind of a, a beautiful eye candy picture that's a bit representative of that and uh, is this interferogram that's draped over a three-dimensional image of the volcanic surface. Um, and one thing that is really unique about SAR is assuming that you can maintain a perfect consistency from day to day to day uh, on the image capture side, you can build what is called these coherent stacks that ultimately allows us to look at this millimeter level deformation of the Earth's surface, which is fundamentally a very valuable thing to observe when it comes to the volcanic activity alone. And so what you're looking at here, it's, this is a, the interferogram is showing these kind of rings, kind of concentric rings isolated around where the volcanic, the most of the volcanic activity occurred. And each of those rings is approximately 1.55 centimeters in depth of deformation of the surface. Um, and then again, just to, in case you're not familiar with the, the radar technology itself, because it's an active sensor, we're able to see through uh, a lot of weather phenomenology. So, um, uh, of course, uh, haze or, or clouds no longer are a problem for synthetic aperture radar, especially in this X-band uh, microwave wavelength. Um, and it being an active system, it does not require the, the solar light to illuminate the surface for capture. So you can do day-night acquisitions, which really is critical when we talk about some of these natural catastrophe events and the impact that they can have on, on society. And so finally, with the combination, it, it's this beautiful coupling and combination of both the, the space-based assets combined with the ground and field measurements, where we can really kind of serve three needs. One is, you know, from an economic perspective and a human risk perspective, understand, you know, where, where the potential impact might lie with respect to these natural catastrophe or geological events. And then from a societal perspective, one of the beautiful things that drove me into the world of uh, remote sensing and then SAR technology is that fundamentally it's physically verifiable. So, so the observations that we collect are something that can be validated by a human from a human perspective. 
And then environmentally, you know, because of the, the aforementioned re reasons of being able to have a persistent system, we can be incredibly responsive to uh, the changing world and the changing environment, which ultimately creates this really lovely foundational layer to understand you know, how our Earth is changing, especially under the climate stress that it's in today. So with that, I want to turn it back over to Tero, and we'll have our panel. Thank you. Thank you very much, Shay, for the excellent keynote. And uh, we'll hand it over to the panel now for, for a discussion. So um, as we are aware, ISI just recently signed uh, the agreement with the European Space Agency for the Copernicus Contributing Mission, and we are a third-party mission member as well. So the data is available for all researchers and research institutes around the world, including Iceland. So, so Vincent, you played a key role uh, in this research uh, and uh, did, did a great study out of uh, what, what happened with the volcano. So um, um, what did we actually learn with the help of SAR interferometry on this one as you have researched volcanoes extensively at the, uh, at the Met Office? So... I think INSAR is one of our main tools nowadays to monitor the formation of a volcano. Because the advantage of like having, like Shea explained, like millimeter or centimeter precision, which is what needed for volcanoes. Really, the deformation is not that significant to many volcanoes prior to eruption. So that's very important. The only other technique that can achieve this precision are really like need instrument on the field, which can be tedious to get there while like a satellite will allow you to measure it directly. So that's what we did basically with uh, this eruption in Fagradalsfjat. Like it was in the middle of an area where we, did, we didn't have any any other monitoring technique. So ISI started to monitor very precisely the eruptive area, and thanks to that, we could start to see like the we have we could see deformation at the surface, and with this deformation, we could invert for like knowing the magma flow path within the crust, because the magma go from the depth to the surface and it needs to go through conduits. And thanks to this like a high resolution, like a, a few centimeters, like a few tens of centimeters of pixels, and also most importantly the daily acquisition, we could see like individual fissure opening because like there was like seven fissures, the main one, and then secondary that open. And thanks to this data set, we were able to like map precisely where the different, uh, the conduit was for each business, each fissure. And then that can be really useful for like uh, mitigating hazards because there were a lot of people obviously in the area that uh, like want to see the eruption. So knowing where the next eruption or fissure could happen is really of prime importance. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So, um, Fristin, um, the University of Iceland was uh, a participant uh, in this study as well mm -hmm. and gave a great contribution. Yes. And you have extensive uh, uh, research also in different areas mm -hmm. of, of, of this type. So uh, what did you make out of this research and uh, how can it help us to understand the volcanoes better? Well, it is uh, actually uh, a new tool with, we have with this satellite constellation. The ISI constellation is very special. Uh, uh, it, we can have this high revisit time, looking at a, an ongoing eruption every day, and high spatial resolution. And this is what is needed worldwide, really, to, to better understand the, the plumbing system inside volcanoes. Magma goes through a plumbing system, and as Vincent was explaining, it's the ground deformation that's important. One of the things we learned that when these new uh, eruptive craters were opening up, that we, with this tool and, and the approaches, we can map the 
opening of the conduit. This helps to understand the hazards and the associated risks. It can help to save life. Maybe you need to be more aware that uh, there may be little precursors to opening of this new vents. That is what we learned here. And with this technique, we are also have a, have a very good uh, example of how uh, remote sensing is getting more and more uh, important in the Nordic countries. Radar satellites are really useful uh, in the polar regions where it is dark half of the year because they see through clouds and nights. And, and there are many uh, important utilization uh, I think can follow uh, where this is just an example of where the ISI satellite constellation is used to understand natural hazards. Thanks. Right, exactly. Uh, so, Daniel, uh, the Iceland Space Agency uh, is our local partner with ISI here, here in Iceland, and uh, you have worked extensively uh, with space research, and uh, uh, you have a dream about going to Mars or even to Venus. That remains to be seen. <laughs> but uh, what, what do you think? Uh, how can the space community make benefit out of the finding, uh, findings and this research? Well, I, I think it's also a wonderful example of how technology that's been developed that's in orbit or, uh, of our planet right now is benefiting us most here on, on Earth. And uh, the, the findings um, that, uh, that Vincent, Freistein, Shea um, are, are sharing today are really exciting because they, they demonstrate that uh, space technology, um, that the ISI constellation uh, is able to, to really peer beneath the surface and uh, so that we can glean more about our own planet and the findings about our own planet ultimately inform what we know and can understand about other planets in our solar system. Right, exactly, exactly. So uh, this has been like a, a pioneering study uh, and it actually follows greatly the uh, um, ideas of the Arctic Economic Council where the collaboration between the science community and business community is of, is of essential. So, Shay, what's going to happen now? So, uh, this research has been conducted and, uh, uh, and uh, the volcanoes are still erupting around the world. So, what will we do next with this? Yes, no, I, I mean, I think this has been like a, a first great example of this collaboration and um, we were lucky enough to have a tour of the Icelandic Meteorological Office this morning, and I, I think we, I don't know, I've walked away with additional brainstorming ideas around how can we couple more um, observations of, of various volcanoes. I mean, I, I was a little bit blown away with how many there were here, quite honestly, um, in my naive perception. Uh, <laughs> but then coupled with the, also the, the glacier activity in terms of the, yeah. the melting of the glaciers. I think there's a phenomenal... Um, capacity to do a lot of comprehensive analysis. So I'm hoping we can continue collaboration. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So Vincent, what are your uh, further ideas considering uh, uh, the interferometric studies for the, for the volcanoes? So what's going to be the next steps in this area? Uh, specifically for volcanoes, I guess the main thing would be like, uh, like this spring when we had a lot of earthquake happening and then we could start to see like that there was a dike on the movement. Then uh, it will be good like next time that we start acquiring images right now so we could see the magma propagating within the crust on almost near real time, like on a daily basis or sub-daily basis, which is really important like for hazard because uh, where the dike is traveling can influence a lot like uh, where the eruption will happen. So that's really the, the next steps. For me, like will be like the, when the next eruption happens, yeah, we should definitely like try to acquire as many images and it should be even become more as a routine like kind of a non-natural tool for like 
uh, yeah, monitoring hazard in general, not like a scientific like I'm doing now, but it should be become more like a natural way. We know that there is a situation. We should get this data and so that people can directly see what's happening in real time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, Freistin, what about the university? What's going to happen? What's what's up with your funding? Because I mean, research yes. requires funding, and what's going to be the next activities in this area with the university? Yeah, those of us that uh, are working on trying to understand volcanoes in the academic environment, we are steadily looking for new techniques uh, how we can better proceed to 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 really know what is down there inside a volcano. And the high resolution uh, in space and time allowed by the satellite constellation, I think we need to apply this to, to volcanoes worldwide. It is really about the final ascent of the magma towards the surface where these high resolution observations are important and I see lots of possibilities. And this is actually uh, only available from space. You can't do it uh, with any type of other observation. Perhaps you can use aircrafts and things like that, but if you think of emissions, for instance, uh, it's much more better to the nature yeah. to, to use space in this. Isn't that the case? Often at volcanoes, we need to combine everything we have, ground-based sure. observations, but space missions have a, 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 a huge uh, benefits in terms of uh, no risk for people on the ground. And in this case, like in the ISI, for the ISI satellite constellation, the high resolution uh, in, in space and time is hard to beat with uh, other observations. We would need the whole array of very expensive instruments on the ground to, to get the same amount of information. Exactly, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I'll soon turn the discussion to, to the audience, but before that, so Daniel, um, with your uh, experience uh, from the field of, field of space, mm -hmm. both from Iceland and, and, and United States, mm -hmm. what's your uh, next plans uh, with the Iceland Space Agency in this uh, area and uh, how are you going to support uh, this, type of, uh, this type of activity? in Mars or in Venus or whatever is going to be your next galaxy? <laughs> well, I, I think part of, the, um, uh, part of our project here in, in Iceland is also making sure that people understand that uh, space exploration, uh, space research um, isn't limited really to just what's happening out there. It's really about what's happening uh, right down here on, on Earth. And the uh, fantastic research that's been done here really does inform uh, what we know and can understand about other planets in our solar system that also uh, have volcanism, uh, but also uh, how the technology can also be used uh, to better understand uh, global warming, um, specifically with regards to the, the glaciers here in Iceland. And so I'm, I'm most excited about how the ISI constellation can be used to, uh, to track the, uh, the glacial retreat over time uh, here in Iceland and really inform uh, decisions that can be made to uh, steer us off the, uh, the cliff uh, with, with global warming. Right, exactly, exactly, yeah. Uh, and maybe one final question to Shay before going over to the audience. So uh, what's the benefit of uh, the agility of the ISI constellation? Uh, perhaps if you look into, you know, what's been in the market five or ten years mm -hmm. ago compared to what's available now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think particularly with the agility of our constellation, with also the phased array design, um, we're able to respond to things like, you know, natural catastrophe events fundamentally, whether it's volcanoes, you know, glacier melt, floods, fires, wh whatever the case is. We have the ability to truly capture the granularity of the time series of the event. And I think, you know, previous to that ability, it, you know, often maybe 
the best you could do was a week or, you know, perhaps you could fly, you know, aerial assets in order to gather high, higher frequency information, but from a space-based perspective, definitely a challenge. So, you know, this really gives us this opportunity to really understand, you know, what is going on in these different domains. Right. As each ISA satellite mm -hmm. goes around the globe 15 times per Correct. day, so yeah. it's a great yeah. frequency. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, handing it over to you. Uh, questions, we have microphones available there. Please raise your hand. Uh, and, and stand up for a potential question to a great panel here today uh, and uh, uh, take it forward from there. We have a gentleman over there in the back, please. Hello, everyone, and thank you for the nice uh, panel. Um, my question would be going um, basically to all of you and would raise a question of what high-performance computing for data analysis could mean in your respect. So do you feel limits in the analysis, um, problems of taking all the data at once and analyze it properly, and what role the computing plays in the process? Wow. Thank God I'm not a scientist. Over <laughs> to you, Vincent. <laughs> thank you. Um, from my experience, the problem is not really the computing power, it's more the disk space problem. It, these images take space, and if you start to acquire a lot of them, you have a lot of space. You need a lot of disk space. So that's mostly this after. Obviously, if you want to analyze through a full stack since the beginning of acquisition, it can take a, a fair amount of computing power, but we're not talking supercomputer amount yet, I think. But mostly it's important. Also, if it's for a short-term event, I mean, like uh, when a DAC is propagating, it's a matter of weeks. So you don't need to analyze that much data because there will be maybe like uh, 20, 30 images, so which is reasonable. If you analyze like thousands, I mean, we have to talk a bit. Preston? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can maybe add uh, that most of our volcano models are uh, non-unique. So when we infer that something is happening in the subsurface, uh, it is normally only one model of, of many possible models, maybe thousands of models. Uh, we could very well use supercomputing and high-performance computing facilities to better understand the uncertainties of our findings. And I think that is a very relevant goal for the coming years, actually. Shay, did you want to comment? Well, yeah, just in general, I think it, there's an interesting balance here because when you are talking about kind of unique events or unique research projects, you know, that, that becomes a bit contained. But then when you talk about scaling a global system... Um, then it's you know migrating into the cloud, and so so that's an area also that that my team at ISI works on. Like, how do we take kind of academic research and and then be able to apply it in a way that is persistent and scalable? So it's a very valid point and, and always a consideration. Exactly. Okay. Next question, please. We have a lady there over in the back, please. Hi, um, I was wondering if you could just talk to us a bit about the potential analogues that could be drawn between the Icelandic volcano and Martian volcanism. Can you repeat the question, please, between the Icelandic volcano and... Martian volcanism. Right, okay. So, who would like to take it? Vincent? We were just talking Daniel? about this. Daniel. Go ahead. Okay, that's for you. Um, well, there have been uh, a number of studies recently that... Uh, it was, it was thought initially that, that Mars uh, was volcanically uh, dead. 
Um, but research uh, recently has been published uh, that, that shows its potential. Uh, potentially, Mars has been active within the last 500,000 years. And the, the type of volcanism uh, that uh, has been studied is actually not that dissimilar from the volcanism that's being studied on the Reykjanes Peninsula. Um, and so I think that there are applications, uh, certainly for the, uh, for the work that's been done here. And there's also applications for uh, looking at volcanism on other planets and, and how to use uh, synthetic aperture radar on, uh, on other satellites and spacecraft. Preston? Yeah, I cannot. We have had uh, many uh, planetary scientists coming to Iceland to, to look for the landforms and, and study comparison of landforms in, in, in Iceland and Mars, uh, including a scientist that was here uh, uh, on a research leave uh, from his post in the U.S. Uh, uh, during the eruption. And uh, uh, I think there's a lot to be learned. The, the radar satellites, they can be used everywhere in the uh, solar system, basically, uh, it's not about only these interferograms or, or ground deformation where we have gained a lot of knowledge now. It's also about just the precise observations from the basic images that these satellites collect and high resolution images they can help to classify and better understand these landforms. So there is still a, a, a potential to learn a lot more from comparison of volcanoes in Iceland and Martian volcanoes. And I think we're just beginning maybe even. Exactly, yes. And we have time for one final question from the audience, please. Uh, yes, please, we have a gentleman there in the middle, please. Yeah, thank you. Mick, oh, that's loud. The okay. one on the left, please, go ahead. Unfortunately, time for only one. Go ahead. Shall I go ahead? Thank you. My name is Thjörleifur Guttormsson. I'm living here in Reykjavik. And, uh, I'm watching this volcano from the kitchen in my flat, and uh, it leads to what shall we expect about uh, the continuation of eruptions of the Reykjanes Peninsula in the year to come. Now it is, has waken up after eight centuries, and I think it would be interesting to know if we should expect every Arctic Circle to have such a a uh, 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 fine eruption. Thank you. Okay, Vincent, now we'll test your elevator speech. 15 <laughs> seconds. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, I think, yeah, it could be the beginning of a new, like, rifting episode with, like, lots of activity in Reykjanes. We have been, we have been seeing that in the, if you look at past history, but it's hard to drone. Each, each system is different from the next one, so you, it's really hard in volcanology to n take one system and apply it to other volcanoes. It's really, they are really independent, so... It's hard to predict the future still. First in 10 seconds. We can use uh, coming events on the Reganus Peninsula as a natural laboratory if we apply the satellite constellations, techniques, and combine it with ground deformation uh, and observations on the ground. We have wonderful possibilities to learn more about volcanoes in coming years and decades. I think that is the time scale.